Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Ag Market Network Cotton Market Teleconference. Uh, our monthly program is brought to you by BASF. Uh, as you know, BASF is the owner of FiberMax and Stonable Cottonseed, and we appreciate them and, and them making uh, this program possible for you. I'm Pat McClatchy. Today's program will be led by Dr. O.A. Cleveland, and he'll be joining our cotton panel of Kip Butts, Gerald Nieper, and Dr. John Robinson. Today we have a special guest also joining us, Buddy Allen, is president and CEO of the American Cotton Shippers Association, and he'll also be giving his pers perspective on the cotton market. Uh, today's format is we'll start with OA. He, he is going to comment on the crop report, then we'll go uh, to Buddy, and then we'll open it up, and we'll also at, at one point open up the line so that if you've got questions of our speakers or if you've got any comments you want to make, you're welcome to do that. So let's get started. OA, thanks for uh, leading us today. Well, thank you very much, Pat. We're a little bit short on some electricity here in the building where I am, so some of our numbers we'll have to defer to others to give, bring, us, bring us up to date. I've only briefly seen them. But I think the crop report or the supply-demand report somewhat ex did a very good job of explaining why we've seen a market that has while it's been up and down, up 20 cents, down 20 cents, up a dime one week, down a dime the next, why it's uh, it has a bit of a negative tone to it, besides all the verbiage of the economy and whatnot. Uh, we came forth with a reasonably bearish report today, and the market was somewhat stable, somewhat uh, inactive with respect to price changes. The market was a little higher but the market was in anticipating this report. At least uh, it, the, the numbers that came out, the market had properly faded the report, and as a consequence, we had very little market movement. The market did, or the numbers did show a significant increase in world carryover, uh, a little higher than I had expected, but I thought it to be uh, thought it to be very high. We were sitting. Uh, basically at 89 and a half, 89.6 million bales, so a 90 million bale carryover worldwide. The U.S. carryover now is up to about 3.7 million bales uh, and probably headed to 4 million. Uh, we, USDA did something that I felt like needed to be done, but they surprised me in doing it this early in the year. They lowered domestic consumption, 100,000 bales wouldn't would not be surprised to see that come down another 100,000. They uh, cut exports 250,000 bales. We could easily see another 250,000 bales added to that as we move forward, but exports are now at 12.5 million bales as compared to, uh, excuse me, 12.25 million bales as compared to the prior report that was 12.5. Those are the numbers that are on the top of my head. We can go through some country numbers. I have only a general sense of them, and I'll ask John Robinson to fill those in for me. But again, a somewhat bearish report, but I think a bearish report that the market fully expected. Now, if we get some of these uh, further uh, demand hickeys that I'm anticipating, that is exports continue to fall, domestic consumption falls a little further, the carryover increases, then we'll see prices move a little bit lower, and we'll just have to see how that works out. Pat, with your permission, if uh, anybody has any questions, I, with the 
respect to the specific numbers or any panelists feels like we need to explain some of these, John, uh, I've asked to be prepared to do that. So thank you very much. All right. Anybody have any comments before we introduce Buddy? One comment I'd like to make, I think Oway had a, a misstatement. I think he said that the U.S. ending stocks were 3.7. I think he meant to say 3.5. Maybe I heard him wrong. But uh, just to be sure that we're all on the same page, I think that, that ending stock number is 3.5 million bales. Up, up 500,000, right. Uh, that's correct. Appreciate it. All right. Well, we can open this back up later for other comments on this report. But let's go ahead and uh, introduce Buddy. Uh, as I mentioned, Buddy Allen is the president and CEO of the American Cotton Shippers Association. He has joined us before, and uh, he was excellent in his uh, view of the markets, and we appreciate it. Buddy, you're sharing your perspective with us. Well, thank you, Pat. Uh, thank you, everyone on the on this panel. I always enjoy listening to you every month, and appreciate the opportunity to 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 make comments with you today. Uh, agree agree with the analysis of the report. I'm, and by the way, I'm, I'm going to touch on the market. I'm going to touch on some logistical challenges we've been experiencing that I discussed with you last time, and I'm going to talk about some policy that we were discussing before the call started that has the potential to create some market risk. So I'm going to take them in that order. Uh, but starting with the market, I agree with everything Dr. Cleveland just said. And I, one thing I'll say, your comment about domestic mill reduction, one thing that may or may not uh, have affected that is we've, we've learned in the last month that the domestic mills are taking an extended holiday where they'll, be, they'll have an unnatural closure. I don't know if USDA considered that in lowering the number or not, but that is that is occurring as we're in a really slow business period. Uh, a lot of people on this call were at the International Cotton Association meeting or Cotton Council International Sourcing Summit, where buyers and sellers come together and do a lot of business. Well, this year we did a lot of we 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 renegotiated a lot of business compared to historically doing a lot of new business. And uh, it, it, it's been a slow time, to say the least. We, we see the discretionary nature of cotton consumption. Is this macro cloud still lingers. Uh, food and energy is a priority for consumer spending. Uh, we've, we've got the potential of an energy crisis in Europe that, and a cold winter coming. So there's, there's, there's reason for concern there. We all see a pathway for, for that cloud to shift. We know the factors that will cause it to shift, but we don't know when they will occur. Uh, the, the La Nina pattern is, is something I wanted to touch as well. We've, we've been using that to sort of underscore a potentially smaller crop going forward. That, that, those observations are changing. Uh, the, the rain is occurring, subsoil moisture is accruing. I know there's a lot of Texas production on this call normally, and, and I, I, I feel like I can speak for the whole group when we're to say we're thankful to see that happening. And we hope that a healthy environment for cotton production returns to Texas and this you know, potentially two to three year drought is alleviated. Um, there, there are a million factors that all, all these experts on the call will, will talk about that are driving the volatility in the market. What I hear from the trade more recently is that the COVID policy in China and the strength of the dollar seem to have the most direct bearing on what we're seeing in these swings that, that OA described a few minutes ago. We saw China cut uh, consumption today, and, and as you mentioned, the market was resilient. 
there, there's, there's some encouraging things to, to, to draw from that. Um, we have had a horrible month when it comes to sales. Um, we've seen you know four or five uh, weeks in a row where, where sales and cancellations have, have basically treaded water. Uh, when I talk to the merchants, they've all got their own number for, for total production and a different approach to how they quantify sales, uh, whether they're in 480s or running bales and all the different nuances. But, but when I listen to them all and aggregate their comments, the good news is at week 18, we're a little ahead of the five-year trend line. While we've had a, a poor month, uh, we're about 65% sold. Uh, through in this marketing year to date, and that's not a bad place to be in right now. Uh, I'm, I hear a lot of discussion about inventory as we go into the holiday season and a really big uh, commercial shopping period for retail apparel, and we listen to a lot of earnings calls from brands and retails like Walmart, Gap, Kohl's, Macy's. And while their inventories are at a high place through the entire supply chain, I would applaud these brands for doing a really aggressive job of, of marking those products down that are stagnant, managing those supplies so that uh, the pathway for demand clearly lies in front of us. We are seeing that the health of those inventories and their liquidation improve, particularly at the, at the storefront. And as you all know, that will move back through the supply chain, uh, creating demand. Um, one last valuable observation I, I would just point out is, is the ARB trade between uh, the, the Zhengzhou, the ZCE, and the ICE uh, contract. We've seen that run uh, historically unfavorable in recent months through all this macro concern. And in recent weeks, we've seen it shift back towards normal to, to where today I think it's 12 or 15 cents favorable to ICE. So that, there's a lot of people whose opinion I respect that see value and optimism in that metric. So that's something that we may want to keep on the radar. Um, quick update on logistics. Th things have improved since we talked last, but for all the wrong reasons. Um, the reason why we're seeing more elasticity in the supply chain is because the total inbound cargo volume has gone down and we're not doing a lot of business. So, so that we shouldn't be patting ourselves on the back. And I, I hope everybody on this call understands that when, we're, when we do a poor job of logistical execution, all it does is add costs and lowers the value of our cotton. There are no winners in the interior when we do that. When, when we make it cost more than, than other growths to, to get to our marketplace, long term, it's harmful to our industry. So we've got to continue to focus on increasing the efficiency of the cotton trade. Um, other growths around the world right now are easier to ship. And the structural problems that we've been dealing with have not gone away. They're just not at the forefront right now. There's some things that are important happening right now. The, the rulemaking and implementation of the Ocean Shipping Reform Act by the Federal Maritime Commission is going to dictate the, the, our access to carrier servers, our access to containers, the, the manner by which we provision chassis. Uh, and all of these things are, are complex and they're inefficient. And I could talk to anybody on this call if you're interested in learning more offline when we have more time. But there, those are three areas that are ripe for improvement. Simultaneously, our rail service has been in the news a lot. We've all been watching this strike and understand the risk around it. But I'll tell you, since 
since labor was furloughed in the pandemic, rail service has been compromised. And, and their model for profit has been to reduce cost, and what that's done is also reduce service. So we, we've got work to do there. When cargo volumes start to increase, when consumer spending spools back up, if we haven't done our work, we're going to see these problems again. Uh, shifting to policy. Uh, funding for the government is going to end if we don't pass a continuing resolution on December 16th. We expect things are, are in order to do that. Uh, that will be followed, we believe, by an omnibus package. It could be rather large as there's a new Congress coming in, a new, a new majority. There's a lot of attrition, a lot of, a lot of end-of-career pork going into this package. So that, may, that, that CR may run till late December. They may kick it into January and make the next Congress deal with it. We're not sure yet. There's not a top-line funding agreement yet, but we think we're going to see that come, come to fruition here pretty quickly. Um, you guys know the Farm Bill is coming, coming up, and there's not going to be much time to do one in normal process with a new Congress, with new committee leadership to be stood up, and expiry in the same year of current farm law. Extensions already being discussed. I would encourage the growers on this call to really re-examine the mechanics of how seed cotton is a covered commodity. We may have an environment where seed prices are high, lint prices are not as historically high in comparison, so I would encourage people to really consider their support as they're making decisions. Um, Dr. Cleveland, you mentioned before the call the Sustainable Aviation Fuel Grand Plan, and it's something I'm fascinated by. I don't know that people are discussing this enough because we know its impacts can change the, the way we approach an acre and decide what to plan on it. Uh, currently, we make 5 million gallons of sustainable aviation fuel in the U.S. a year. This proposal is to incentivize production to increase by 20 30 to 3 billion gallons. So that's 5 million with an M to 3 billion with a B. And then another 11-fold by the year 2050 up to 35 billion. I don't believe any of these goals will be met, but I do think this is directional policy that tremendous resources are already beginning invested in. The Inflation Reduction Act uh, and other legislation has created tax incentives that are real. These aren't hypothetical. They, they, are, they are actual. They're in place. We are seeing a tremendous amount of investment in crush. We know that this will start with infrastructure that's in place for lipid fats like soy oil, canola oil, but it will also take alcohol to jet conversion for, for, for ethanol or isobutanol to be made into some form of kerosene cleaned into sustainable aviation fuel, and then ultimately biomass reclamation to, to really get to these big numbers if we ever go there. So there's a lot to unpack. What's most disturbing to me is that this policy was rolled out and then followed by a renewable fuel obligation from the same administration's EPA that gave a very different projection for renewable fuel consumption that was only about a 1% year-on-year increase and a very linear path compared to a sharp curve up in the administration's SAF grand plan, be mindful the sharp curve comes after years 23, 4, and 5 that this renewable fuel obligation is specifically contemplated. It is a proposal. It is not a final rule. But we'll talk more about the risks that can come from this. They are vast. 
Um, we dodged a bullet with FTX. Uh, uh, Pat, I know you and I have talked about FTX, the, the, uh, the crypto exchange that had a proposal to change market structure in futures and potentially agricultural markets. Everybody on the news is talking about the fraud. Nobody's talking about the underlying changes in market structure that were being contemplated and considered uh, to a degree that made me very uncomfortable. So we can take that off for now, but I do think it warrants long-term consideration of the risk associated with that proposal. Uh, last policy issue that I think is really important that's just popped up in the last 48 hours and may be part of this omnibus package I, missed, I, I mentioned a moment ago, is expansion of the wash sales provision. And, and you guys, when you talk to your CPA, are probably familiar with if you, if you liquidate a security for a loss and then you buy it back within 30 days, you void the opportunity to take that loss. It's for securities only. They're, they are proposing to expand that to take digital assets and commodities. So when we're trading cotton futures, if a grower is using derivatives, if a, if a merchant is, is you know, providing that liquidity to a farmer to, to buy that cotton when they want to and sell that future, and then all, all of these functions are happening simultaneously, even if these participants are given some waiver in, in, uh, in the impact of this as far as taking the losses or having to net their accounting mark to market, the compliance and documentation would be an incredible cost and burden to the whole industry. So I hope the people listening will socialize that this is bad for agriculture. Um, and I think, I think maybe I should stop there and just say, yeah, I think this market's got work to do because uh, based on, on my farm, where I'm sitting now, the, the value is less than the cost of production. But thank you for the opportunity to make these comments, and I look forward to talking to you and be happy to take any questions. All right, let's just open it up with our panel. Any, any questions you've got for Buddy? Hey, Buddy, uh, this is Gerald. Uh, on your farm, are you seeing any relief at all in fertilizer prices? Uh, yes, Gerald, uh, we, and, and we can we can pull that that graph and show it. it. It has been trending favorably. I don't have a urea tonnage price in front of me today, but I would uh, I would be willing to bet that it, it's it's more favorable than it was a year ago. But if I were to net that with other input costs, uh, equipment costs, and, and other cost trends, I think that the total aggregate would be a higher cost proposition going into this season. Thank you. Uh, Buddy, if I may, uh, I'm going, going to do something I hate for people to do. I'm going to semi make a semi-speech and as part of the question. But I, okay. I think it's it's necessary. Uh, I know you're in Mississippi, and we just had here this week the uh, what's called a short course, where if growers and farmers come together and go through the cotton production, cotton and and, and other all crops production and marketing uh, schedules and planning and price outlook. And the thing that struck me is the first time in my life I've ever seen a Mississippi State budget cost of production budget that comes in in excess of $1,000 per acre. And it came in at about $1,094 per acre. And uh, being an old-timer, I'm used to this being 500 and maybe 700 if it was really high. 
And what we saw were significant increases in what you mentioned, fertilizer, diesel, uh, and and all of a sudden I've gone blank, fertilizer, diesel, uh, as well as irrigation. And uh, it, it just struck me again that the job that growers have in front of them, and again, these are budgets, I understand that. Uh, it's not an individual's own farm, but the job that they have to do now to extract the profit out of the market and what they have to do in, in sitting down and putting a pencil in deciding if they're going to go crop, grow, grow cotton. And this is something that certainly in Mississippi, in the Mid-South and West Texas, uh, we, that's just something we think about we're supposed to do is Southwest Georgia, parts of Alabama, North Carolina. Can you just reflect on anything I said, if you could, please? Well, well, sure, and I and I agree with you, and I appreciate you you recognizing the the risk that producers take and uh, the demand that's imposed upon them to be more efficient every year than they were the year before, and and maybe there are anomalies where that's not the case, but it certainly is today, and we're we're required to leverage technology and cultural practice change to to do a more efficient job and increase the output because the input cost to your points higher and, and, and constantly trending higher. Uh, I didn't mention cottonseed, but I do believe that as these renewable fuel concepts float around, that there may be new, new values and opportunities for cottonseed to add revenue to a cotton acre. That's encouraging. Um, there, we need some encouraging things as growers uh, because uh, as I said, for me today, the proposition does not work without some type of, of ad hoc revenue that, that, that I would only be able to imagine now. There's, there's nothing substantive out there for consideration. Uh, there's, no, there's no insurance or risk management opportunity to make a, the concept of growing in these costs at this market level sound for me today. Um, but we, we know that this is, a, is an industry where things are nonlinear. The way we sell our cotton, the way we see opportunities to market our cotton, uh, they, they ebb and flow drastically in, in, in this business. And I, I hope that we find those opportunities in front of us, and I hope that growers have the opportunity to manage price risk and, and take some risk off the table in a reasonable time frame before planning decisions have to be made. Uh, this is John. I'll just chime in and echo something, uh, reiterate what uh, Mr. Allen just said about anything that enhances other oilseed, the whole oilseed complex. We've been doing a little bit of research in cottonseed prices, and I'll tell you, soybean price is the, by far the strongest predictor. Soybean prices go up. It takes cottonseed, uh, cottonseed with it. So any kind of policy that uh, increases the demand for, for soybeans uh, would uh, be very helpful. All right. Any other questions? We're going to open up the lines, and we can come back to more comments. But before we do that, anybody else have any thoughts or any questions? All right. Just uh, I'm going to I'm going to unmute the phones, and if you're out there, if you've got a question for anyone in our group, or if you've got a statement you want to make, feel free to do it. Now you know how this works. When I unmute this thing, if uh, 
if we start hearing the chickens and the cows, I'm going to have to mute it again. So just just say you, give us your question, and I might have to mute it after you do. All right, here we go. All right, if you, any questions you've got, feel free to uh, to direct them to our our, uh, our speakers, or if you got a statement you want to make, go ahead. Um. Pat, this is Brad Heffington. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to ask Mr. Allen, does, does he have any forecasts for carryout on cotton? And maybe I'm going to do a little bit like OA and this question a while ago. But this has even got to the point to where out here, we're lo- I'm worried about losing infrastructure in the cotton industry in West Texas because there's more and more farms going into <laughs> grass and feedstock production and, and right now insurance is m- way more favorable for production loans with milo and corn than cotton. It just doesn't work. So I just I think there'll be a big shift even out here in acres. Alright. Buddy? Well in today's today's economics I, I hate to agree with you but I, but I do and I I've mentioned before you know, our industry is not right size for crops of this size. We've got too much infrastructure that's that's it is specific for cotton processing. Whether they're gins, pickers, planters, you, you know you know all the things I'm discussing. And this is not sustainable for our industry. So I certainly hope that we can see this cloud shift. We can see uh, adequate moisture for you guys in Texas to grow a crop. And in, a, and a market that, that that encourages you to do that, and uh, both both those things have to happen for our industry to be sustainable, and that that goes from the from the businesses I mentioned to the trade associations to the to the main street economy that flourishes with cotton production, and, and we all value that. So thank so you. So you for don't keep them and eat them. All right, any. Any other questions or any statements anyone want to make? OA again, I just to extend a little further what Buddy said and what Brad said, uh, it, I realized this week, I, I, I had missed it, I shouldn't have, a cotton picker that we always said was 800000 to a million dollars, and it, it, it crept up to saying it was a million dollars. Now then, it's $1.3 million. If, if you're lucky, a good bargainer to catch a catch a dealer uh, really needing to do something, you might get one one million two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Here we are at one point three million, and we're talking about infrastructure. And do we have enough? And I, I, I sympathize with that. I think it's an excellent question. But with this kind of risk, additional risk that we talk about, uh, it's just more and more headache more and more pencil pushing uh, that the farmer, the grower, the industry per se, it goes all the way up to the mill level that uh, that they're having to deal with. Uh, much riskier adds more risk, and and certainly these times there's much more uncertainty there than we've ever seen. Thank you. All right. Any, any other comments? Well, Pat, this hey, is Brad uh, again, and, and I can't emphasize more what OA and Buddy are saying. I, you know, Buddy was talking about having to, I mean, he's got a farming operation, and, and when you're having to sharpen the pencil over here, we're, we're the point, we don't know where to sharpen it anymore. And, you know, December futures are at 78 cents, and 
we can sell grain here for a positive basis and and then we're we're switching from La Nina to neutral to maybe El Nino, which actually favors grain production in our area because that can be wet and cool and it's not necessarily the that can be the other extreme for cotton. So it's encouraging people here to go, yeah, I think we need to switch to grain because that's the way I'm going to get a production loan is because my insurance guarantees are, can cover my cost where they can't with cotton. And this, this, this cost of equipment on the producer level and the, the wrap and everything that goes with, you know, harvest is, is just horrendous when, you know, you're not even talking about the cost of the wrap when you talk about the cost of one of these harvesters. And we can go buy a dang good combine for $300,000. And that's a you know a third to a fourth to a third of the cost of a cotton picker or stripper, and it'll cover a lot more land than it will. And you know we're getting slapped in the face of the reality here that I'm a diehard cotton core, but it's just not working. And I'm worried about our gins or compresses, and is it is it going to recover in time for us to keep things here? Because you look at the the mid south and the things that's happened there, and it worries me that that's going to happen here, and we're you know, we're the largest cotton patch in the world, and uh, this is serious. And without any kind of hope of, uh, I mean, if demand destruction stays and carryout grows, and there's just nothing to encourage anybody to plant cotton, even in West Texas. Well, here's a question for, for, for Brad, for you or any other farmer. We're looking at December 2023 cotton, close today at 78.32. What do you think it takes for farmers to say, uh, yeah, I'm going to grow cotton again, given the fact we're looking at corn and where it's trading or beans or whatever you, else you might grow? What is the price do you, do you think it takes to, to, to see uh, production uh, come in for cotton? Well, this is crazy sounding, but here it's going to be north of a dollar because our basis, you know, in the quality issues that you can have and deductions and the loan rates and bids and you know there's two kinds of corn two and three there's nothing there that kills you and but the cotton you can have a good yield and have low mic and get 40 cents or get 55 and if you don't have some cushion above a dollar at least where you can try to get a dollar for it I, I just don't see people doing it when at the same time the grain prices will be edging up I believe because corn and soybeans will be fighting for acres and the cotton's going to get thrown to the side and, and it, if it doesn't go along with it, it yeah. gets farther and farther behind as things go. So my answer is it, it needs to be a dollar five to a dollar ten for West Texas people to try to make a profit and, and that's going to have to be during the price insurance discovery time in February or producers won't, can't handle the risk to grow it. Any other comments from any other farmers or anyone listening? Pat, this is Bryce. Uh, I yep. agree with Brad. I'm just a little bit south of Brad, but it's got to be above a dollar with the way with how much it costs to irrigate now. And then it's a correct OA. The picker might be a million three but a uh, stripper baler corvo header is a million fifteen thousand brand new. Uh, a million what? I, I missed a billion. A stripper baler is a million fifteen thousand brand new. Million fifteen. Uh, with a twelve header. Now the picker gotcha. is more okay. expensive. I, I, I just want I want to make sure I was hearing you. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking at. We've got we've been getting a little bit of winter moisture. I mean, it's not much. We've probably gotten. Close to an inch, inch and a half, 
actually goes a lot further when it doesn't evaporate. And I'm looking at maybe just doing some wheat instead of uh, cotton makers just because I can't do corn. I don't have enough water to do corn. That would end in disaster too. So there's a lot of guys around here. We, there's a lot of wheat in the ground. And right now, if it keeps raining, I don't know why anybody would want to plant cotton when it may not keep raining, but it typically doesn't keep raining for us in the wintertime and the wheat's a disaster like you can irrigate it. These guys are zooming blue. And then, then you can double crop the wheat with Milo behind it and, yeah. you know, both it keep raining. It just grow the one cotton crop. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, wheat. Bad right now, for all of them. That West Texas. They lost their whole crop this year for droughts. Right now, we yeah, it's looking promising, but if it keeps if it gets dry, then well, well, I don't know what we're gonna do. But cotton don't look too pretty at the moment. All right, well, let's uh, let's take this, let's meet these lines again, and we'll uh, sort of wrap things up here. All right, uh, before we close out here, any anybody on our panel got any comments they'd like to make? Pat, are you going to go through a price r- routine oh, again? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, Oway. Okay. I'm okay. at okay. you're right. Gosh, well, well, <laughs> let's start with you. Uh, <laughs> give, me, give me your price forecast, and you can talk old crop, but you definitely we definitely want to hear new crop, too. What do you think? And so I appreciate you sticking it in and turning it, so I'll go first. Uh, well, I, I, and it's, I, I, for me, I'm very happy to go first because, I, you know, I'm usually bullish. I, I'm a bit bearish, uh, and I hate that. I'm not comfortable being bearish. But uh, Gerald Nieper points out to me this gap down around 74.5 cents, 75.5 cents. And all this good support at seventy-seven cents in March. Well, I'm I'm just concerned that we're headed down to seventy-five first. Then maybe we bounce right back. But I, I think we've got to fight that. We're certainly fighting the demand problem. Uh, so I'm I'm looking at March somewhere, uh, maybe up as high as eighty-eight cents, maybe eighty-seven cents. I think it fails there. There's too much activity to do for pricing at eighty-eight cents. So if we get there, it fails, and a, a bottom a down below that or, or down to 75 cents. And I, I know that's a terribly wide range, uh, and, and I hate to come forth with that. Looking at new crop, something has to give to get acres planted. I don't know what it is. I don't see it. Looking at price ratios, you don't see it. I would anticipate that growers are happy with the uh, certainly not west texas but growers that had any kind of similarity of a decent growing season they're happy with their yields i think the seed companies have done a great job in giving us varieties that yield well with excellent quality so there is a a tendency i think brad expressed it in so many words and other people uh, along the line tell us that they they want to plant cotton so i think somewhere around 70 Seven cents, seventy-five cents on 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 the new crop, but I think the market is really trying hard to dig its heels in at seventy-eight cents, and then from there, uh, I, I, 
around 85 cents is where I see a high now. Uh, we need it higher than that. And as we go forward and get these acreage planning reports here at the Beltwide and then the council and then the March 31 report, I, th- I think maybe we end up getting a little bit higher acreage and we will need that acreage uh, come come December a year from now. We'll okay. need the production, so thank you. All right, Kip, what are your thoughts? Well, my uh, my March prices, uh, March-May period, uh, those two contracts, I'm pretty much in line with OA. I think we may get – we could take uh, – because technicals are – or uh, we could we could see ninety cents, but I'm more inclined. I think we'll spend more time in the uh, low eighties to maybe to a waste point to the mid seventies. Uh, demand is just short term demand, and the, and the macro outlook is just not favorable for prices to to go significantly higher. For new crop, uh, the things I've heard from. The, just on this call, uh, I think the input costs have put the farmer in just an absolutely impossible situation, uh, and they're going to be inclined to go to alternative crops. As we've heard, there's incentives to do that. So I think I think that new crop prices are going to be a little higher than what OA was talking about. We're probably going to see them. <laughs> at the highs at around 90 or so, and I'm not going to tell you how we get there because I just honestly don't know, but I do believe we're going to hear an awful lot of talk about such a low acreage number at a price of 75 or, or 80 cents that, that the market's just going to go higher. So uh, I do think the range on the December contract is from uh, about where it is now, 75, 77, to uh, potentially 90 cents. Okay, John? I agree entirely with what I just heard. OA's 12-cent range of 75 to 87 just seems sensible, and I agree with Kip. The new crop, I don't, we'll probably be in the 80s through the planting period, which is too low, and the market's going to wake up maybe about the May WASD and, and think, good gosh, we, you know, here's as tight a supply we've had in a long time, and I think that may take us into the 90s, but it's, it's going to be in-seasons. Oh, okay. Uh, Gerald? Oh, I was hoping you'd forget about me. That <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love the, me? Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, that uh, OA talked about that gap, you know. It's just sitting down there just like a siren song, you know. I think, and, and Cotton loves to fill gaps. So that's sitting between 74.64 and 75.50. So I think we're going to at least go down to there, if not a little bit lower, probably into the 70 to 72 cent range, possibly, you know, uh, that being that negative. The the upside, you know, 88 to 90. I mean, maybe, maybe something happens later on this year. Uh, I know consumption, USDA took a big swipe at it right now. I'm kind of afraid that, you know, we're going to wake up one of these days and all of a sudden, you know, these retailers are going to say, okay, we need to, are some cotton goods, and mills are going to scramble and say, well, where's the cotton, you know? So um, I, I think uh, even old crop has got a, has got a, a small chance to, to get someplace back into the 90s. 
um, somewhere around 94 to 97 cents. But uh, I probably wouldn't give that more than about a 10% chance at, with what we know today. Uh, as far as new crop is concerned, you know, I agree with OA. I think it's trying to dig its heels in here somewhere between 77, 78 cents. And, um, you know, it's going to have to run up into the mid-80s at least to even get a guy to think about it. But, uh, um, you know, it's uh, again, we'll wake up one day and go, well, wait a second, where, where are the acres at, you know? Um, especially in Texas, you know, talk about uh, I didn't realize so much wheat had been going in right now. I, I knew that it was going in out here in California because guys – have been planting some cotton so much on uh, on ground, you know, year after year, they need to rotate it, and wheat prices are good. Uh, tomato prices are fantastic. Garlic prices are good. They need water for their trees. Um, so at, at some point, I do think we will see new crop, you know, get near, get near a dollar, but it probably won't happen until we get into the, into the fall. Uh, like John says, you know, people are going to have to wake up one day and go, wait a second, you know, where where is the cotton? And um, so um, I, 75 cents or 77 cents for, for new crop on the low end uh, to possibly a, a buck, but that's probably over a, a whole year time period. Okay. Uh, buddy, you want to take a swing at this? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, nobody likes having the bet on the come, and that's what you guys are describing, and that's a, that's that, that's um, that's a challenge. But um, I, I don't have the technical trading expertise that all you do. I appreciate your perspective on some of the benchmarks we need to watch for. I, I do agree with your comments about all the noise in the market starting to assimilate and sound more like a course, and that course is going to get loud at, at some point. Uh, we're going to be watching consumer behavior and interest rates and some of this macro news and geopolitical risk to see when the noise b becomes that, that song that um, we're going to need more cotton in the supply chain. Uh, somebody said May Wisey. Uh, maybe maybe in, in, on this call in May, you guys will remember this, and we'll see if it, it, what it sounds like then. I, I don't know how to time that. But uh, so so I'll, I'll refrain from throwing the numbers out. But conceptually, um, I, I agree with your, your your range and your comments. It's more about when when this noise in the market starts to point towards a solution, and then we have a known shortage of supply that will push prices higher. And maybe maybe the growers on the call don't have to to bet on the come uh, after that happens. But thank you for letting me join you today. Sure. Well, buddy, we appreciate you. you being with us. Uh, very informative, very interesting. And we thank you. OA, thanks for leading us. Uh, thanks to our panel. And a special thank you, of course, uh, to BASF for making the program possible. So that concludes this edition of the Ag Market Network. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.